Welcome to the Salted Podcast, where you're translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preference. In this episode, we are in part two of our comfort series. We answer the question, is comfort killing my faith? Let's get salty. Welcome to the Salted Podcast. My name is Yon. And this is Dan. And today, this episode, whatever day you're listening to this episode, we're talking comfort. Comfort part two. Is comfort killing my faith? Three-part series on how comfort is killing me physically, which we already just did that one. How it's killing my faith, and is it killing my family, which is the next episode. And at the end of this one... We are going to, it's Super Bowl time, so we are going to get in our personal preferences about whether or not you prefer the NFL or the Super Bowl with Taylor Swift or sans Taylor Swift, which means without. What a dilemma. What a dilemma. (laughs) But it is interesting, the more people you talk to, the people have very strong opinions about it. They really do. So (laughs) They really do. Yeah. I feel like I have to have a strong opinion, otherwise I'm so culturally irrelevant. I know. It seems like we are. the world is even divided upon whether or not they want Taylor Swift involved in their NFL games yeah. or not. And, and so, we'll spring that on our audience here at the end. Yeah. And some of you might be thinking, let's just talk about that. <laughs> We're going to wait to the end. That's okay. right. Talk about the good stuff. We're going to make you uncomfortable because it's good for you. Ooh. We're talking about comfort. Does comfort kill or is comfort killing my faith? And maybe you... Um, one of the things that used to be, now that I'm a parent of young kids, this is more poignant for me, but you know, back in the day, maybe five years ago or so, before I had kids, the, the chief cultural epidemic was the, the helicopter mom. Yeah. You know the helicopter mom, Same for mom, me growing right? up. Yeah, yeah, same for me growing up. And as a youth pastor, too, we would talk about the impact of helicopter moms and dads. Yeah, and what the helicopter mom, obviously, if you know what a helicopter is, which you probably do, they hover around right everywhere the kid goes they hover around mm-hmm. um and the kid can do nothing kind of there's no autonomy right well the mom, helicopter, mom and dad does everything for them everywhere that's right we should say mom and dad you're yeah. correct yes um so helicopter moms and dads this helicopter mom and dad have evolved mm-hmm. into something more sinister. our <laughs> yeah, more sinister <laughs> more our style here in central new york where we're <laughs> broadcasting from and that's the snowplow mom or dad. Yeah. What the heck is a snowplow mom or yeah, dad? Yeah, from what, I, from what I've been reading in social sciences and study of family and so on, one of the epidemics now is the way that parents have become snowplow parents, which means this, to f- they forcefully remove any obstacle that might hurt or hinder their child from success or feeling good. Mm. So anything that makes your child feel bad, anything that hinders or is an obstacle to their success or their perceived success mom or dad forcefully remove those obstacles so they will give up anything they will attack anyone they will do anything to make sure that those obstacles are removed because they don't want their kid hurt or hindered yeah and that makes for a comfortable life it does well debilitatingly comfortable. debilitatingly comfortable life and so that shows up in a, a bunch of different ways and specifically in our in our christian faith is something like a are we are we um metaphorically snowplow momming and daddy in our own faith by just embracing comfort and letting it kill our faith and then we'll next time we'll talk about specifically even moms and dads about how it's potentially killing our families but yeah well, yeah essentially as a mom and dad if you're a snowplow parent you are trying to you are trying to help your child experience a faith that's only therapeutic and it's only comforting mm. not allowing the faith 
to in any way bring obstacles or um, create any kind of um, hurt or hindrance. Right. And so in a broader context, even if you didn't have a snowplow mom or dad in your faith, are we in American Christianity embodying the snowplow mom and dad um, methodology in our own faith? And is it killing us? Is it making us comfortable? That's it. Is it it literally careening us off of an icy road into a gully below? Yeah. How's that? Gully. Carrying a gully? I do, I do, I think that's actually one of the better words I've ever heard, yes. heard you use. Only unsalted. Belly. Ironically, salted snowplows salt things as yeah. well. It makes it more yeah. safe. Anyways, we could go with that metaphor forever. <laughs> um, I know you So, can. again, so why do we, again, why do we care about this? Well, I mean, if, if you spend any time in the modern world, we have hashtags of first world problems. We have things like adulting. That's what we've talked about. Um, social media meltdowns where people are... Um, co- complaining or identifying that they are working eight hour days and 40 hour weeks and there's not <laughs> much, there's not much time to recreate or That's do what right. they want um all sorts of different things that say well is comfort really a, a massive crisis and yeah, is I saw it contributing to our destruction right i saw a video as <laughs> an employee who was um uh, I don't know if it was a, I don't remember if it was the boss or the employee who was trying to explain to their boss that they cannot, w- they cannot attend the work staff meeting because they had a workout class scheduled right. yeah. and they're trying to, yeah. so they're scheduling their work around their workout class. Yeah. And of course that was some kind of metaphor for the meltdowns related to how hard it is to be an adult. Yeah. And it's a, and it is a, um, when we're in it, right when we're in it we comfort is something that we all kind of like and we all enjoy and from our from if you remember from our last episode we're we're approaching this we're trying to give some principles on how do we analyze um and look through a gospel lens on how we view comfort and uh, we are not and we're actually we're trying to ask how is it serving you how is comfort serving us and how is it contributing to our growth as gospel center people and making a difference in the world as opposed to how is it potentially killing us because we are starting this and we are approaching this from you might think it's comfort's bad and mm. discomfort is good. Yeah. Um, but it is not. It, comfort or discomfort is, as the tr- as the theme is, that those are not automatic indicators of value or the benefit of doing something, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable. I think the temptation is to, uh, I think somehow by default we've convinced ourselves that comfort correlates to happiness, mm. right? If yeah. I'm comfortable, I'm happy. But Arthur Brooks in The Atlantic has this, such a great outlook on this, and he makes the observation that the rise in comfort is not correlating to a rise in happiness. Yes. And so I think that's a uh, a really helpful insight when we th- start thinking about this topic. Right. And when it comes to our faith, is the point of our faith happiness and right. self-contentment right. and comfort? Yeah. And we're going to look specifically at saying, well, okay, how does the comfort or discomfort in our faith contribute to us growing to be more like Jesus and to contributing and salting the earth um, and looking at the world through that lens? Yeah, that's good. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, this is, I'm very comfortable with the, with where we're headed right now. <laughs> so yeah. I see what you did there. Yeah. So here's some ways in which comfort is a good thing in our faith. Um, again, we don't want to say comfort's a bad thing, but comfort is a good thing in a couple of different indicators. The first one is a couple of different kind of benchmarks of, of a healthy, gospel-centered, vibrant faith is, well, let's just start with maybe doctrine, sound doctrine, gospel fluency, just as a baseline. It's like, well, um, 
what's our responsibility as Christians? Is it are we supposed to be comfortable with the doctrines that we have and hold dear that inform our worldview and our our fluency in the gospel and how it informs our life, or are we supposed to be uncomfortable right. in the way we perceive right. it? Right. Yeah. And if you're asking me, for sure, yeah. comfortable. <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, to the degree in which you're comfortable, probably is the d degree in which that truth is effective. Yeah. And and the church in over time has spent countless hours yeah. and money trying to ensure that Christians are comfortable with the most important foundational yeah. doctrines of our faith so, so that we true. can comfortably articulate them and see how they um, relate to the world around us. So that's a good thing. If you are comfortable with the doctrines and you understand what they are, that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, another thing, Sabbath, right? If you, if you um, take off that um, day of work and you say, I'm going to rest and you literally, it is if by by default, resting is a kind of a comfortable thing to do, ideally. But you are comfortable with taking a day off and Sabbathing and saying, I trust the Lord that he's in control of everything and I'm going to do that on a regular basis. Yep. Um, that's a good thing. Yep. Right? Um, if I... Um, if I have an identity and my future trust in Jesus, if I rest my identity in Jesus and I'm comfortable in my identity in Christ and he, and that I have faith and trust in who he says I am, I am, and that I'm comfortable in it and I'm not uncomfortable or squirmy or anxious about it or questioning it, that's, we would want people to be comfortable in it. Right? Yeah. So again, another, another marker of where comfort is good. Um, we want people to be, we run a, when we are, are leaders in a local church, we would love for people to be comfortable having deep, transparent, authentic, vulnerable yeah. relationships with people in their church community. Right. Comfort with their sense of belonging and yep. Yep. to the point where they can talk about the hard stuff and everybody's accepted for who they are. And so we don't want people to be uncomfortable. We spend a lot of time for people who are not a part of this church, who walk into our church building and we want them to be comfortable. Yep primarily because we want them to hear about Jesus. Sorry. Um, so these are just a couple of benchmarks when you say, okay, well, what's comfort look like in my own faith? Well, comfort is good in, we want you to have, we want to be comfortable in our sound doctrine. We want to have comfort, comfort in, in our Sabbath rest. We want to have comfort in our church community and the vulnerability and our identity in Christ. All of these are benchmarks of how comfort is in fact, inherently good in our faith. Yes. So the question then becomes is when does comfort contribute to killing my faith right yeah yeah and so being a, when we think of like our it's not like a, again we go like the doctrine months ago like we're not the, the question that becomes as well if being if being comfortable in sound doctrine and knowing it well is the benchmark are we saying well there are ways in which we want people to be uncomfortable in our faith but that doesn't mean we want and that and that's going to contribute to our growth but that doesn't mean we're saying we want you to question the doctrine of justification right. through faith alone right? yeah we want you to read a translation of the bible that you don't understand so you're yeah. so uncomfortable yeah, pick up the book of mormon and just really dig into it and really poke the holes in the foundational faith of christendom right um pick up the quran and really aim for real problematic stuff in scripture whatever try to destroy your own faith try to deconstruct your faith to the point where you don't believe it anymore right. we're not saying that for the purpose of, of getting uncomfortable right yeah, yes we're not saying that because in because there's no inherent value in being uncomfortable in those things but the question is what does i mean what is a um what is a bad what does being uncomfortable look like in our faith that would contribute to our faith as opposed to killing our faith yeah that's good and so um some of the ways in which being uncomfortable in these different areas contributes to our faith is primarily kind of the principle is being uncomfortable in our faith means that we are 
challenging those most deeply held beliefs about God. Right. We are we are ensuring that they are they are lived out, which causes us discomfort as we live them out. Yeah. And that we are we are dying to all the other things like comfort, like consumerism, like control, all these other things in our life that are contrary to the gospel, and that's where the discomfort comes in. So how are we actually applying these uh, truths to our lives? Um, and you can look at that, and we'll just go through the same list, right? Sabbath, right? We want people to be comfortable with in the Sabbath, but how do we know that being uncomfortable in the Sabbath is something that's going to contribute to my to my health? We don't want we we want people to say, we want to be able to say, it is a little bit uncomfortable to Sabbath because I got a lot of work to do. Right. I have a lot right. of important stuff to do. I can't. I feel like I can't take a day off. I got to keep grinding yeah, away. F- like. I fully rely only on myself. If I don't right. do these things, then 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 I'm not going to be able to uh, yep. sufficiently finish. Or yep. yeah, exactly. And so so that's the thing. Like w- many times when we're starting to Sabbath, we're starting to say, "Well, I trust the Lord." Then that's the hard part. It's like, oh no, I really do have to do. I have to be in control of my life. So that's where the uncomfort comes in. Are we going to apply this principle? Yes. Is it uncomfortable to do sometimes? Yes, it is. But if we go to all the way to the other side, like comfort is killing us in the Sabbath when we just don't do it and we're just totally com- comfortable not doing it. Yeah. Right. We're like, okay, well, like, wait, you go to church, mm. you rest on a day. That's so far beyond my mm. comprehension that I, I never do it. I'm so comfortable in my apathy that that's the most problematic. Sure. Doctrines and gospel fluency. Um, that is, it becomes uncomfortable, which is beneficial to us when anytime we, you study doctrine and we have gospel fluency, we immediately become the minority opinion yeah. holders right. in broader in broader culture yeah. right you, you believe what you believe what yeah. yes you are you you are very bigoted you are very um yep. it's very um exclusive that you can go to only you are going to heaven and everybody right. else is going to hell yep. and all that stuff right <clears throat> so the second we actually are comfortable with our doctrine and we say we i mean the thing about doctrine is you have to have an opinion on it right? yeah it's like it forces you to say you know what there's not just not a whole bunch of stuff i'm against there's a stuff i'm actually for and i actually believe and it actually shapes the way i live so again if you have a if you have a doctrine of again justification through faith alone that is that puts you in the minority in the world you you walk around you say okay well it's uncomfortable for me to be in the minority right. because people are going to say i'm bigoted i'm exclusive and or i'm just a, a little bit pompous yeah it's good so um but on on the extreme end where that lack of comfort um where we become where comfort becomes a problem and it becomes destructive to our faith is that we it's it's comfortable not to have any beliefs about anything and yeah. we're just like yeah it's all good right and suddenly that that will kill our faith right uh transparency with the church same thing right i mean it becomes when you're dealing with other people we it when we are uncomfortable it means that we are being vulnerable with people right and that's i mean who likes that yeah i don't no no it like hey let me tell you about how all the problems i have in my life yeah let me describe my fears yes exactly let me tell about how about (laughs) the things going on in my marriage and how i'm not perfect and all those things um that's where it becomes there's a lack of comfort in there but that on that lack of comfort will contribute to our faith as opposed to killing our faith if we're weak go all the way in where I'm comfortable and I'm so comfortable with people. I don't talk to anything. I don't have any real conversations. Right. I just show up. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? I'm comfortable just keeping it yeah, service go level. With the flow. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So, and I'm comfortable. Ironically, I'm comfortable not asking anybody else any questions. Like right. I don't want to, do I really want to know about their problems? If right. I do, if I find out what their problem is, I have to do something. I have to do something. Yeah, about comfortable it. distance. Yeah. Um, other things, simple ones like future, right? Who's in control? Like, am I, the the idea that I can be uncomfortable 
not knowing there's a lot of anxiety right. or even un we uh, not knowing what the future holds. Am I comfortable in saying, you know what? I am giving up control. Right. That's an uncomfortable thing yeah. to do. It makes you think of Jesus's um ad, advocates um in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, "Listen, here's some wisdom too. Um don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough trouble right. in yeah. its own, right? And that's an uncomfortable situation where you're like where you kind of um focus on the uncertainties of today rather than also including tomorrow. Yep. Yep. There's yeah. a, yeah, there is a distinct lack of, and especially for if you're like a planner and you're a saver and you're like, you probably want, and there, again, it goes into, it is uncomfortable. It goes, but we go, we can swerve into the faith killing comfort zone when we're like, actually it's more comfortable to like be in control to yeah. say I'm in complete control. I'm going to own all of it. We know, we know we're not, but that ultimately leads to discomfort because something happens, something happens and, control. It, yeah, and it totally yeah. blows up your own. Right. Um, but, um, we want that discomfort to be beneficial to our faith because we want to give up control. Yeah. And that's not a comfortable thing to do. Last one, identity in Christ, something like the idea that I'm going to, you know, we are uncomfortable in saying my identity is in Christ and it's, I'm okay. Not being, Fill in the blank, X, Y, and Z. The the perfect husband, the best employee, the best soccer player, the best looking, the most athletic, whatever it is, you we're okay. You literally just described your life. Yeah, I know. It's like, well, <laughs> I know. I am the best. It's, it's hard because I'm the best husband. Yeah. I'm the oh, most yeah. athletic. I'm yep. the best looking. Yeah, obviously you're making I'm yourself comfortable here. best employee. If I, well, I am an employee now, but... um. I was the only employee in my own business, so I had to be the best. That's how you do it. Anyways, um, but that's, you know, so you're, if you're dis, if you're uncomfortable in that, it's saying I'm not, I'm okay not being the best in all these things and resting my identity in Jesus, right? When we veer into the totally comfortable faith killing area, it's just simply saying I, I'm taking the, essentially taking the world into my own hands and saying yeah. I'm, I am the best and I, or I have to be the best or God wants me to be the best. Or I suddenly say my justification, my standing before God is in my own control. So, which is weirdly people like that. Weirdly people think that's like they, we, we embrace that a lot of times it's because it's comfortable because we get to think like we're in control. But then when you get out of it, you look back, you're like, man, that was really uncomfortable because you had to do a lot of stuff to try to yep. self justify. But, and so those are, so again, when we look at, when we look at our faith, like what's killing is my, is my comfort or discomfort, contributing to my faith and growing in my gospel centered um, worldview, or is it detracting from it? Um, and really the real problem with comfort is when we take this good thing, when we make it the ultimate thing, mm-hmm. right? We take this good thing of comfort that God's given us and we make it the ultimate thing in our lives. And um, specifically when we look at, I mean, we can, we, we can do kind of a test in America and even in our own faith and our own church engagement. It's like, Spiritual comfort ultimately breeds, um, if we talk about physical comfort breeding obesity or something like that, right? Heart disease and stuff. Spiritual comfort breeds not necessarily hate or or a lack of, it's it's apathy, right? Right. So you you could make the case that if someone's apathetic, the root of it is their spiritual comfort. Yep. Yeah. And that if you want to break out of apathy, you would have to do something spiritually uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 Sure. And 
whether that falls in one of those different there's there's multiple other things markers but we we highlighted five different markers right sabbath doctrine transparency with your church community future you know where identity rests and so am i apathetic in all those things maybe and i think the american church is probably on in the apathetic category because i was, I was yeah. just gonna say that. Okay. i was just gonna say i mean could do we need to go look much further right. than the than the profile of our american church yep it's from a large scale we can just we can just look at at the impact that our faith has on um, people and on people in general want comfort. We tend tend to, to comfort, but more so in the American modern worlds that people are aiming at comfort. Um, and we can see that generally speaking, probably most American Christians, we are, we're way too comfortable. We're way too apathetic. And we can see that because when you look at places where the church is growing the most, the highest rate of converts and the fastest growth, um, there's two places that I wouldn't, one I would have expected, one I, I hadn't expected, but when I looked it up is, the first one is Iran. What? Yeah. I never. I cannot I picture think. that. Can yeah. you picture that? No. Wow. It's very interesting. I mean, because currently, geopolitically, Iran is like, enemy yeah. number three, maybe. But it's yeah, pretty big. Yeah. It's pretty up there in terms wow. of the Middle East things going on. Okay. Like, so, but yeah, apparently, apparently there's a rampant Christian conversion in wow. Iran. And I wonder if it's generated by just the discomfort of what, what the status is and what their yeah. future is and yeah. the turmoil, who knows? Yeah, and wow. the other one's China, right? That's kind of like a long-standing one of... But I think, what does that tell us? It tells us that, I think, in, in Iran and China, it's both, like, essentially prohibited to preach, to right. preach the gospel, yep. to convert to Christianity. And so this lack of apathy this lack of comfort the discomfort that is being caused in these people's yeah. lives it would contribute to people saying you know what it's 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 putting all those things of do i trust the doctrines these right. sound doctrines do i trust that i can that god has control of my life my are there you know you really have to be vulnerable with people in iran if you're going to convert to christianity right, because you're right. like okay well i'm actually going to do this and hard, by the way you could be killed for it right? yeah hard so, to fake it till you make yeah, it there. exactly it reminds me of w what the church in china is called which is the underground church right? right the the idea that if it's above ground they're persecuted it's driven underground and they're and they're doing that just to survive yep so the again the the principle when it comes to okay well what's the you know what is the the setting what's our culture what are the different ways in which we can view this is you know being comfortable in your faith is not a bad thing it is good to be comfortable in those things but it's going to cause if we are not apathetic it's going to cause us discomfort as yeah. we live in a world that does not necessarily embrace those things so yeah interesting so the question is how do we shift and how do we ensure that we are looking at this through a gospel lens as opposed to the comfort lens, the American apathetic consumerism lens. Yeah, that, I mean, I think you start with God in the Bible. The God of the Bible lets his people endure hardship. Mm -hmm. That the God of the Bible doesn't often and normally deliver them from hardships, right? And when I talk about hardship, I mean, is it worth mentioning, Yon, that I'm not talking about Starbucks replacing Merry Christmas with Happy Holidays on their holiday cups? I mean, I mean, I mean, it's hard to swallow, it's right? I mean, it's literally hard to swallow a Starbucks when it's yeah, got yeah, that on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so when we're talking about hardship, we're not talking about um, offensive things that ungodly, non-Christian corporations are deciding to do, right? Um, Paul the Apostle said that he had a thorn in the flesh. He asked God three times to take it away, and God would not take away this thorn in the flesh. And that represents there's a level of hardship that God let him endure, even as the Apostle Paul, who 
qualified in God's eyes should have qualified as the one to get some special privileges. God should have snow plowed yeah. that out of his totally. way, right? Yeah. But he doesn't. Um, also, you remember that God has warned believers, if you belong to Jesus and you are a part of his family, the letters that are written, um, Jesus's words are reiterated, you will face trouble of many kinds. When you face persecution, he doesn't say if you face persecution. He says when, pray for the persecutor, right? It, it might be worth mentioning 11 disciples were not protected from martyrdom out of the 12. So, so all of them? What do we know? Yeah. What do we know? God lets his people endure hardship. And he reveals discomfort as a part of his design, even in the discomfort of Jesus. Is it, is it well known that Jesus had no place to lay his head? He just, It's described in the Gospels that Jesus was well known to be someone who had no housing of his own right yeah. foxes have holes and you know whatever but the son of man has nowhere to lay down um then paul writes in corinthians you know the generous grace of our lord jesus christ though he was rich yet for for your sakes he became poor so that his poverty he could make you rich you know the generous grace of our lord jesus through though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty we could make you rich did that just read twice in a row the same exact i blame i blame chat gpt yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah i doubt it um so yeah i mean the poverty is noted right there in in corinthians uh keep in mind that jesus also prepared for his life and ministry in the desert on his own he's tempted by the enemy right and he's doing so in a 40-day fast so that's pretty remarkable keep that in mind the discomfort have you have you fasted forty days before in your life? I don't think I've fasted forty meals in yeah, my life. You know. My parents once did a forty day fast. And it it's was, not my calling. Yeah, I, I believe I other know. people have this uh, carry that burden. Yeah, so I'm like <laughs> I can be like Jesus in many other ways. Exactly, but, yeah. exactly. Um, so uh, we're also reminded that the discomfort that Jesus experienced was actually a way for the father to teach him in the flesh obedience even though jesus was god's son he learned obedience from the things he suffered so when i say suffering and hardship i'm just i'm primarily talking about a category of discomfort sure right so some um, kind of some seems like external and some internal like you yeah. self-impose a 40-day fast sure. but you do not self-impose a yeah other things that go on yeah and martyrdom then, for example of course and then eventually god reveals a discomfort that is so uncomfortable for jesus it leads to his max discomfort which is his death mm -hmm. but god knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when jesus was betrayed so that couldn't be too comfortable and he was betrayed with the help of lawless gentiles you nailed him to the cross and you killed him. So there's the max discomfort of the way Jesus dies. And what am I saying by all this? It's pretty obvious that God has designed people who belong to him to experience discomfort. Yeah. And you can observe the hardship, suffering, and persecution of the disciples, right? I and mean, think about Jesus, even when he commissions his disciples. You remember he sent them two by two in the Gospels there? And he yeah. said, you're going to go and you're going to do these things. And I want you to represent the kingdom. And I want you to pray in faith. And yeah. so I do what I've done. He says, go, but don't take anything with you. Right. Yeah. So 
Um, and he said, stay with strangers who will take yeah. you in. And if they don't take you in, wipe the dust, you know, just, just uh, knock the dust off your feet and keep on yeah. going. And he did that with a sense, I think, of profound discomfort in, in relying on the provision of the Father in heaven. Yeah. Just the, imagine doing that today. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, it's just a, it's a horrifying to imagine that. But <laughs> Jesus did that right from the get go. Think about Jesus teaching the cultural discomfort of the Good Samaritan story, right? The cultural clashes that would be involved in in somebody expressing care and concern um, for someone who's in a different tribe someone who's of a different culture and of course the Samaritan being widely at odds with the Hebrew culture and so on Um, and Jesus is teaching on fasting by the way he doesn't say if you fast he says when you fast did I say that already great now we're gonna do a four-day fast yeah I just would just caution you to start with four hours it's either all or nothing no start with four hours Uh, I fast every night for about six six to eight hours fitness routines are six to eight hours (laughs) when I'm sleeping yeah um, so Jesus expects fasting to happen. The um, Ultimately, again, uh, you think about God fills Stephen, one of the early church preachers, yeah. right? Uh, fills him with the Holy Spirit, which leads to his stoning death, yeah. right? So uh, even Stephen, who's full of the Spirit, isn't protected from that kind right. of hardship yeah. and that kind of discomfort. So, um, and during those moments does God abandon us he doesn't he doesn't abandon us he helps his people through discomfort and hardship Um, he teaches them through here's what he does through our discomfort our spiritual discomfort he teaches us dependence Mm. think of in the Old Testament he feeds and waters the Hebrews with manna from heaven yeah when they were desperate in the wilderness he fed them and he had provisions for uh, them to only rely on him instead of their own effort and their own work as a means of teaching them reliance and 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 Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he is um, he is praying so desperately that he sweats uh, in 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 the form that's like blood um, and uh, there's so many examples of God comforting his people in the Old and New Testament with his love he sets the hope of heaven before them it says when you're suffering think of the glory to come which will help you in your hardship that you're experiencing now right. rather than just instantaneously delivering them. Um, and what Jesus' followers need is faith, courage, and endurance. And that's mm. that shows up in Second Corinthians and Hebrews and James and all the way into the, the book of Revelation. Faith, courage, endurance, faith, courage, endurance, not shortcuts. Um, you know, it actually reminds me of C.S. Lewis. There's this great segment in the Screwtape Letters where you kind of see how poisonous comfort is to my faith Mm -hmm. and he writes it this way he says the safest road to hell is the gradual one Mm -hmm. the gentle slope soft underfoot without sudden turnings without milestones without signposts in other words as comfortable as could possibly be that's how the the road to hell is uh that's the path of the road to hell super comfortable great yep so how about that um, and then I'm you, sitting here thinking about all the ways that I'm comfortable. So thank you for doing that. Not yes. just uh, enjoying comfort, but probably prioritizing seeking it out. Yeah. And, and uh, exactly. Um, and 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 if you contrast that idea, that's that really gradual, safe road, and that real gentle slope that's soft. You contrast that with the road that Jesus traveled, right? Um, 
on using the power of discomfort. Jesus said, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. He said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. I mean, that carry the cross image is 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 um, discomfort. Yeah, It's his way instead of your way, his plans instead of your plans. It's his ideas and his worldview and his vision and his priorities, his values instead of your own. Yeah. And uh, so even even in the way that Jesus describes what it what it's going to be like to follow him uh, he talks about the value of discomfort now what's the Christian response to discomfort uh, well we should expect hardship we should expect adversity we should expect discipline even where God purposely brings something into right. our life to bring discipline right yeah. and he disciplines those whom he loves and occasionally affliction that God allows affliction right um, well, a Christian responses responds differently. A salted salt of the earth Christian with a gospel transformed worldview sees this as joy. Consider it joy when you face trouble, all the various troubles that you're going to face, whether it's hardship, adversity, discipline, or affliction. Yeah. And then a Christian should take action. Right? You love your enemies, you pray for those who persecute you. You don't just sit back and say, Oh, this is so terrible and I can't wait to get in my small group and tell them how right. you know, how awful the world is to me, my boss, my coworkers, my neighbors, my teammates, my classmates are making my life miserable. No. Love your enemies, do something. And by the way, Paul teaches that your love is not we are to love not just with words, not merely words, but love is action. Right. Yeah, that's when you have that's the hard part when you have a belief. This is where you have to actually put the belief in action yeah. regardless of the circumstance which makes it right because the belief isn't uncomfortable right yeah exactly it's the action you can have this belief but it's like okay well i actually got to do it (laughs) now right i gotta forgive yeah that's uncomfortable yeah Yeah. right so that brings us to um another uh, aspect of the christian response which is our posture so we have a view we have an action and then we have a posture and the posture that we take in the world is an alien discomfort in other words we are exiles yeah we are not home we are not home until we're in heaven. In the meantime, we're this kingdom family that's really out of place, an alien, sojourner, yep. Um, yep. however you want to describe it, where essentially we're rejected and foreign while we're in the world doing our work. Right. And uh, that's a that's got a I mean, there's so many theological right. underpinnings there, and it's such a it would be a beautiful topic. Yeah. Um, you probably won't get martyred in America, but you might get casually slid to the side of the social circles or you might get you know bludgeoned on social media Mm -hmm. you might not get hired for a job ridiculed you You might get ridiculed you might be labeled things like bigot and stuff or caricatured and lampooned yeah all the things that you might be you know socially martyred sure crucified for your beliefs yeah yeah which makes it all the more uncomfortable. well it's natural for us to then think to ourselves well can i just focus on getting comfortable right if i'm uncomfortable in these situations do i just focus on getting comfortable c.s lewis and mere christianity has a comment on that too which i love he says in religion as in war and everything else, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. Mm. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with and in the end, despair. Right. Yeah. So focus on comfort. You don't get truth or comfort. Yep. Focus on truth and then the comfort comes through that and from that eventually. Yep. And the other the other I think it's true that for most of us, our initial reaction to discomfort is to pray it away. 
Yeah. I mean, how many times have you heard or do we actually say in our own words, oh, Father, take this pain away, take this hardship, discomfort from me, deliver me from it, remove it. Almost every prayer request I get, no matter who it is from our tribe, starts with pray that God and goes on and basically removes every every ounce of discomfort, every all the symptoms, all the pain, all the hardship, just remove it. Right. That's our first response. Yep. And, uh, of course, it doesn't help that it's being fed by TV preachers like Joel Osteen who tweets, you think you're getting, you, you think you're going to have to work for it, convince someone, earn it, endure, outlast, but it's going to be easier than you think. God has already gone before you. He's already worked out what you're worrying about. Right. Of course, doctrinally, you can find, you can kind of like dig in and discover that that's true right. in some cases, <laughs> but the implication here is that this is easy work. Yeah. Right? It's funny. It, there's so many... You could read like, oh yeah, that's that's right. But he says you think you're going to have to work for it. What is for what's it? Your right? success. Yeah, and then God, we would say you think you're going to have to work for it. But if we skip the middle part, we say, but God has already gone before you. He's already worked out what you're worrying about. Yeah. We'd say well, that's true. Yeah, that's legit. But the middle part where you're like, uh, it's going to be easier than you think. Like, yeah. No. It's actually probably going to be more difficult than right, you think. So. Right. Yeah. But either way, the, the what the overarching message here is that God desires whatever it is you need and want. He desires you to enjoy it with comfort mm. and with yep. ease. Right. Yep. And and by the way, do you think there's an, a, a market for that kind of messaging? You better believe it. That's why Joel has you, a you better believe big old it. Yep. plane and a big old. Yep. God wants it to be easy. It couldn't be easier. easier and um, you don't have to. You don't have to worry about it. So our, our response that really that, that we really do focus on and embrace is patient endurance. Uh, Hebrews 10, there's a long passage on patient endurance uh, where essentially um, he talks about, the author talks about suffering along with those who were thrown into jail and losing things and that um, that ultimately that even though all of that pain and suffering has happened do not throw away this confident trust in the lord remember the great reward that it brings you patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do god's will then you will receive all that he has promised so the believer doesn't necessarily instantly pray it away the believer who has a salted worldview says i'm going to receive this discomfort with patient endurance i recognize that in the end there is a reward that great reward is being with jesus forever in the meantime i'm going to endure faithfully yeah no matter how much hardship there is and um and this is i mean this is also when it is written is very near to a significant persecution that those people are going to be experiencing the church is going to get completely annihilated and destroyed and fed to it's fed to wild animals and burned and crucified and so much so that there's an eschatological view that thinks that that is actually like the book of revelation kind of stuff emerging in their lives so it's like that's good point it's a it it relative to the stuff that we're talking about it's pretty pretty incredible to dis, to discern okay well these people literally it's the so uncomfortable my i have these beliefs when it comes down to it do i believe them or not well they chose the uncomfortable way of yes i believe it so much i'm gonna get crucified i'm gonna get eaten by lions in the right in the coliseum and so yeah i mean peter has comments on this he says for god is pleased when conscious of his will, which is for this discomfort, you patiently endure unjust treatment, right. even injustice, patiently endure it. Yep. Um, so uh, it's tempting 
really to prioritize comfort um, and to follow Jesus at the same time. Mm-hmm. To, to make a lifetime attempt of focusing on, okay, I am going to live for and follow Jesus, and at the same time, I am going to hold on to and embrace and prioritize in my life maximum comfort. Right. <laughs> Whether it's, yeah, I mean, just limitless comfort, right? And we get some wisdom here, again, in the scriptures. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you give up your life, for my sake, Jesus is saying, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So, uh, And Jesus also says, seek first the kingdom of God, and he's going to add everything you need. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be distressed. You don't have to be anxious over, what do I? What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? And he says, well, look at the birds. Right. They, they eat infinitely. They yep. just always eat. And uh, look at the lilies of the field, right? The wildflowers, they're beautiful, more beautiful than anything King Solomon ever dressed up. And, yep. And therefore, um, it's it's tempting to prioritize comfort and following Jesus. And we see here that if you prioritize following Jesus, doing his will and living this Christian worldview, that these other things, this discomfort actually benefit benefits us. Yeah. Um, so the last sec, the last portion of our response is reflective obedience. And that is. Uh, I mean, the best way to describe this is just come right out of First Peter chapter two. But if you suffer for doing good, and you endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, He is your example. You must follow in His steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when He was insulted nor threaten revenge when He was when He suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. So there's a level of obedience that we live where we're reflecting who Jesus is while we're suffering, while we're uncomfortable, and while we're discomfort. I mean, that's why, I mean, at the very basic level, if you've got a family and you're raising kids, one of the basics is no complaining. Sure. No complaining. Someone's got it worse than you. It's not helping to complain. And you... Um, if you're starting to grow in your faith and following Jesus, you say Jesus experienced far worse and he didn't do it for himself. He did it for other people to save them, to reach them and redeem them. And therefore, at the very least, we can avoid all the shallow complaining and griping and grumbling and groaning at the very ba- at yep. the very least. And then, of course, you, your whole life, you learn to deepen that and yep. you just learn to live in a way that you're obedient in a beautiful way that reflects the kind of obedience that Jesus right. experienced. And that's it. I think that's um, yeah. that's a thorough yeah. cross-section of what responding to discomfort could right. look like. The ironic part is the more obedient and uncomfortable we are, the more comfortable we become in stuff like our doctrinal beliefs, our identity in Christ, our community with other believers. Yeah. The more we obey, the more comfortable we get in saying, I do believe these things. They yep. become more and more solidified. So Love it. All right, on to the important part. How uncomfortable are you seeing Taylor Swift in every NFL game on TV? Actually, the the person preferences do you prefer a Taylor, an NFL with Taylor Swift or without Taylor Swift? But yeah. yeah. Now I'll start by saying I can understand why the NFL wants Taylor Swift as a part of their marketing image. She's a image. mega superstar, yes. and she's got millions of fans that do not watch the Globally, who yes. now do yep. watch. You know, you've seen these video clips of, of living room full of 13-year-olds who are now wearing Chiefs jerseys and so on, yep. right? It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. But I personally, as a, as a 
lifelong fan of the NFL. I personally do not want her um, in the NFL, especially don't want to see a cutaway to her at the games, hopping around and and, um, high-fiving and doing choreographed dances with her uh, boyfriend's family. So I am definitely a... NFL Sands the mm. Swift. What I, about I you? think I was on that train until Jason Kelsey was up in the box oh, with no. her at the Bills game. I know, but come and on. I will say that something about something about seeing a shirtless guy just going crazy <laughs> with Taylor Swift also in the box was like, you know what? It went from I went from I don't like Taylor Swift in the NFL. To I don't I, I don't care. You <laughs> I think it's I you think can't it's a, not care. You can't not care. I think we I'll did. take it. Yeah, I mean I'll I'll we take her in the NFL. This. Sure, I'll take her in the All NFL. Right. Yeah, I think I'll go All pro. Right. I'm pro Taylor Swift. I think it maybe adds a level of um, entertainment. It adds a level of I mean I know what it adds on the marketing I, side. I, yeah, I know, but I think it adds a little bit oh, of for you, I don't want yeah like in a game where I don't really care about the I don't really necessarily care if the Chiefs or the 49ers win an NFL. Part of me thinks I want the f- Chiefs to lose because I I want yeah, I, I want, want her to go away. I want I want her to feel bad, feel sad. <laughs> oh, and Kelsey just fe- Travis Kelsey just kind of feels oh. like a bit of a oh, he's yeah. like a you pompous punk, yeah, you know. Yeah. So I was Frat like boy. so I'm like, "Hey, the more, you know, the more it kind of creates a little bit more of a villain storyline for me that yeah. I want them to lose." But then I see Jason Kelsey up there shirtless and I'm like welcome to the real welcome yeah. to the real world of people this is like these are this is the football fans sure. that you're you've got one sitting next to you so. yeah Jason Kelsey being Taylor Swift's boyfriend's brother who's yes. also an NFL who player who just retired yeah. and was completely hammered and yeah. took a shirt off in the luxury box jumped out went down he was also jumping that, on Bill's mafia tables I read that was planned I read that, sure they was, had, yeah. that he had planned to do the shirtless uh, sure. hyping and all yeah. that whatever. they also have a podcast to market as well so Taylor That's has true. Taylor has Tay-Tay as they say has <laughs> concerts to market too <laughs> so there you have it I'm a Swifty is that what we call them anyways hopefully you listen to us again even though I'm a Swifty thanks for joining us Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.